Bom dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another episode of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. I'm your guest host, John Neves, back here again to talk about my favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Episode 158. Here we are, the middle of February. We just wrapped up the first leg of some of the European uh, ties with uh, regards to uh, Braga, Sporting, and Benfica. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. We had a great Clásico last week. We have uh, Liga B-Win Week 21, uh, the first and second division taking place this weekend. And again, we are in a very, very, very busy point of the season. And coming up in a few weeks, and I'll talk about this a little bit later on, I'll give you a Portugal update regarding Roberto Martinez and with some of the uh, players uh, that don't play in Portugal and play abroad are doing and, and kind of start to build up toward the two matches next month for Euro 2024 qualifying uh, when Portugal plays uh, Liechtenstein and Luxembourg, a pair of uh, uh, countries, uh, not very strong countries, but certainly it'll be interesting to see what Roberto Martinez does. But let me start off first talking about European football this week. Um, obviously, we had a very good result. We had an okay result, and we had a very disappointing result. So I'm going to start off with bad and work my way up to good. Uh, obviously, an awful result for Braga, losing at home to Fiorentina 4-0. Uh, it was 1-0, then they had a player sent off, Tormena, and it all came crashing down. Um, Braga, again, they've suffered in the past five weeks, two 5-0 losses at Sporting. Now they suffer this very ugly loss, 4-0, at home to Fiorentina. It looks like the only team that that uh, Braga doesn't seem to have any issues with and that seems to handle them very well is first place Befica. But when it comes to playing everybody else, uh, they don't seem to be doing very well. But this is a very disappointing result. One, because it hurts Portugal's coefficient. Portugal, as I'm recording this, heading into uh, the uh, first day that I'll drop this on Friday, uh, February the um, uh, February the 17th is the fact that Portugal right now is in seventh place. Holland has overtaken us, the Netherlands, and right now we're in seventh place. And as I understand that, that means we're going to lose a Champions League place, uh, not this upcoming season, but the following one. And obviously this is very, very disappointing. So there are a lot of people that only care about their team, and I understand that. It's very hard on weekends when you're rooting against the teams that you hate in your league to all of a sudden find yourself supporting them. And of course, not to say that the science says that if you support them, you're going to help them win anyway. But it's nice to have some unity in the Portuguese community um, to see the Portuguese teams do well. And whenever they don't, it really hurts everybody. And I think this is a perfect example. Bragano goes, uh, you know, they play next uh, Thursday, the uh, 23rd. And Braga, you know, they've got nothing to play for. They've given up four goals. The only thing they got going for them is the fact that that away goals rule, where away goals count as double, is no longer in play in Europe. So, but it's going to take a miracle. Arthur George has said that. Ricardo Huerta has said that. So at this point, all, all basically Braga is playing for next week is basically pride and to walk away with the point and to walk away with whatever money they could make by winning that match. Um, you know, it's, you don't make a whole lot of money in the Europa League, uh, especially at this playoff stage, but nevertheless, you do make some money. And, and for a club like Braga, that's very uh, important. And, and if you're president Salvador, you have to be very disappointed by yet another lopsided loss of 4-0 at home and not very good for Portuguese football. Sporting, uh, losing 1-0 on an awful mistake by the goalkeeper Antonio Aiden. 
Uh, Adan, um, again, Adan, he's made a few mistakes. He, you know, it's interesting. He gave the pre-match uh, preview for the Europa League match in Alvalade, and he said, you know, he admits that he made some really bad mistakes back in the fall during group play, but that, uh, you know, he's played over 100 matches, and, you know, people only think about maybe the two mistakes he's made. Well, unfortunately, now they're going to think about three mistakes because that was a very, very unfortunate mistake that he made um, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, an awful goal went to the uh, Midtjylland player of Denmark, and he scores it, especially from long range, I thought, and he was able to beat him. And, of course, if you saw the goal, I'd done was just kind of laying on the floor. He just couldn't believe it. But Gowatch... Uh, a player that will no doubt be a legendary figure in club history comes back in the final seconds of the match in stoppage time and scores the tying goal, which helps Sporting go to Denmark next week. They play next Thursday, the 23rd of February, and helps them go to Denmark with the hope to continue in this competition. Again, Sporting, not much to say. Uh, they're pretty much out. Not, obviously, I'm not even going to say the title. Right now, it's really about third place. Uh, you look at Sporting in the standings there. <laughs> you know, they're five points ahead of Guimarães, and Guimarães is very inconsistent, so maybe they don't have to worry about them. But if Guimarães were to get hot at the right time and Sporting continues to play the football, the soccer that they've been playing, that could be in trouble for uh, Sporting, even for fourth place. But right now, they're eight points behind Braga, a team that they beat 5-0 twice, and they are eight points behind them in the Liga B1. It, it, it's incredible. But Sporting, give them a lot of credit. They did come back to draw. They should have won this match a little bit more. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm trying to remember. i got to look at the um, last week's podcast, but I think I even said that, um, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to predict, and then I'm also going to give you a worst-case prediction. And I said I thought Sporting would win 3-1. to one. Worst case is they would draw, and worst case happened. So Sporting next week, uh, look, they are in it. They are absolutely in it to advance in this playoff. They just got to go. They've got to score a few goals. Again, away goals rules do not count, and they've got to go and uh, take care of business because playing at their team place, they're bound to have a lot of fans. It's a very big club in uh, Denmark. And they just have to be, you know, very, very careful. But if you're a sporting fan, as much as you're disappointed in what happened with the Classico, as much as you're disappointed in everything, you have to be happy with the guts that they showed at the end of this match to come back. There's been some people talking about, I even had a few people that uh, DM me, like Michael from Massachusetts, basically asking, um, he's a big sporting fan, and he was like, you know, is it time to make a change? And and. My thing is, no, it's not time to make a change. I think a lot of this is because Sporting has sold a lot of their players, which they've had to do for financial reasons and because the offers were too good to pass up. And, you know, I just think that Ruben Amarin is working with less than what he's had the last two to three years, especially the year that they won the uh, title. Uh, I still think that year when there were no fans allowed in the stadiums because that was the way it was back then in the heart of the pandemic when football did return but not fans, um, I still think Sporting benefited, especially the young players, playing uh, around the league, especially at the big clubs, uh, in not playing in front of fans. And I think these days, uh, Sporting has just uh, been a uh, different team, and uh, this year they've been a different team. They're just not the same team. I don't think they're as good as they have been. They've had anything, they've gotten worse. And if you are to blame anyone, I think you've got to blame the club structure for the fact that they've made uh, these uh, sales. Uh, moving on to what was positive about Europe. Great result by Benfica winning in Belgium 2-0. Uh, 
penalty kick by Zhuang Mario, PK by David Neres, and as a result, uh, Benfica, of course, they still have a match to play. Uh, Roger Schmidt was very, very careful uh, to basically, you know, to remind everybody that although they are in control of the uh, two legs right now after, after the first one, that they still have to come back and win that second one at the very least, walk away without losing by two goals. But I think that uh, Benfica is in control. And look, Benfica, um, if they win and they should advance, and if they do advance, I think they're going to go. I think they're going to win. Uh, well, actually, no, I'm going to make a prediction right now. They're going to basically draw 1-1 or 2-2. And worst case prediction I will make if worst case did happen is I think they lose something like 2-1 is what I think happens. But uh, if you're Benfica, you have an opportunity here because you'll advance to the, you know, the quarterfinals, the final eight for the second straight year, which is a fantastic accomplishment for Benfica, who considers itself to be one of the bigger clubs in Europe, especially in history. But if you do, and the draw that comes up, uh, I believe the draw is going to be coming up, um, I think it's the 14th of March, and you get that draw for the uh, quarterfinals and the semi, and you get the right draw in terms of not, you know, look, we get unlucky with the cities and the Liverpools and all that. If we can just get lucky and I'm, play someone like a Milan, uh, somebody that is not a true giant, maybe we have a shot to make it to the semifinals, which I think would be a major, major accomplishment for Benfica. And, of course, if that happens, then, you know, Roger Schmidt is as sure as gone this summer because one of those big clubs will come calling. They may come calling anyway if Benfica only make it to the quarterfinals. But Benfica is just playing like a big club. Some people said, well, they're going to lose Enzo. You know, does it mean that they're going to get any less? No, I, I think they're going to be just fine. And uh, Chiquinho has to step up. João Mario is playing fantastic. This is some of the best football he's playing. He's going to be he's going to be deserved to get a call up with Roberto Martinez next month for the national team Euro qualifiers against Luxembourg and Liechtenstein. Uh, João Mario has been playing very, very well. He's done very, very well, and he's been a very big part of it. Let's not forget that Benfica has had a lot of injuries as well. Rafa hasn't, doesn't, you know, he's been hurt. He came back. He's been okay. He's been okay, in my opinion, but he hasn't been the player that he was at the beginning of the season, in my opinion. But uh, So it was a good result, an average result in terms of the draw with Sporting, and a very bad result. Next week, Porto will be playing on Wednesday. They'll be going to Italy to play Inter Milan. Conceição has never lost a tie against an Italian club in European football. You know, he's beaten the Romas of the world. You know, he knocked off Juventus when they had Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he has a great history. Of course, he played in Italy. He's, he's uh, you know, I, I believe he went on vacation in Italy uh, last year. And I mention that because he has a lot of ties in Italy. It's, it's a very special place for him. You know, his years of, you know, playing in Italy when he was much younger as a uh, baller. But I think if you're sporting, and um, I'll talk a little bit more about the preview coming up in the uh, second half of this episode, more of the previews on uh, next week's matches with uh, Porto and Inter. But let's review quickly what happened uh, last week. Obviously, the big story last week was, of course, the classic group, Porto winning 2-1, to one, despite all their injuries, which, by the way, got even worse after the match. Porto going to Sporting and recording the 2-1 to one win. Consisong, uh, much like the way he has dominated Italian teams, he's pretty much pretty much dominating against uh, Sporting. And as a result, Porto inject themselves only five points behind Benfica in second place. Braga is only seven points behind Benfica. But again, I just don't have 
a lot of faith in Braga. I have faith in that they could compete for third place, but I just don't think they're going to catch up to uh, Porto. We'll see, but I, I just don't see that uh, happening. But um, but basically, a big, big result uh, for Porto to go to Alvalad and walk away with the three points despite all their injuries. We saw Benfica, of course. They had already played their matches a few weeks ago, so they were able to watch from the couch, uh, from the kitchen table, and watch the matches. And, of course, knowing that uh, Porto 1 did not satisfy them, they probably would have preferred to have seen uh, probably either sporting a win or a draw that would have helped maybe keep their lead at seven points with the draw, but they did not get that. Uh, other results last week of interest, we saw Guimarães beat Multimunense at home. We saw Roca beat Santa Clara at home 1-0. We saw Vizela and Chaves play to a 0-0 draw. We saw Maritimo play Braga. Braga recording a late win, 2-1, going over to Madeira recording the win. We saw Riwa beat Estoril 2-0. Estoril continues to struggle with Nelson, Nelson Verissimo. You got to wonder if he's going to be allowed back for year two. And we saw a draw between Boavista and Casapia. Casapia has lost a few matches. Of course, they were also eliminated from the Taça de Portugal, and uh, they go up north and they suffer another draw. So I, I said it would be tough for them uh, to be a fifth-place team, and as a result, Guimarães has now overtaken them for fifth place. And you probably know the standings, but it's pretty simple. Benfica, 53, Porto, 48. I think it's pretty much a two-team race at this point. Um, we'll see if Braga could turn it around, but they're not showing anything whatsoever that they will. But you know what? If you're Braga and you qualify in third place, the Champions League, you're going to be very happy, especially as you have an eight-point cushion against uh, Sporting. Vitoria Guimarães is in uh, fifth place with 33 points, and Casapia is in sixth place with 31, and Aroca is also in the mix with 30 points. So you still have, I think, Vitoria Guimarães, Casapia, and Aroca that I think are all going to be battling for the last Europa Conference League uh, spot. Down at the bottom, uh, Passos de Ferreira still with nine points in last. Maritimo with 13. Santa Clara with 15. Familia Kong Fama in 15th place. So if you're Passos right now, you're essentially trailing by 12 points from getting out of uh, the bottom three places. You're even still six points behind 16th place Santa Clara, which is, you know, puts you into the playoff position. So you could try to stay another year in the uh, first division, but Passos and Maritimo uh, pretty much are at the bottom. Uh, Maritimo, though, I think has a little bit more hope of trying to maybe catch Familicon, who they're only six points behind, and of course Santa Clara in the playoff spot of 16th place with uh, 15 uh, points. Uh, looking at this weekend, the best match, in my opinion, this weekend, look, you, you know, I can always pick a big three, but I think for me the big match this weekend is going to be Braga-Aroca. You're talking about a Braga team that's trying to fend off sporting. You're trying to see how Braga is going to respond this weekend. After playing on Thursday, they've got to play right away on Sunday, and they're going to be playing at home against Aroca which, again, right now sitting in seventh place but battling for their last European spot. Uh, I think that's, in my opinion, the premier match this weekend. Uh, everything that's going on Friday with Gilles Vicente at home to Vizela, a pair of clubs up north in the Minuera battling each other in Friday night football, soccer. Then on Saturday, you've got Portimonense Maritimo. You've got Estoril Passos de Ferreira. And uh, you've got then Porto at home to Riwa. Porto. Have eight players injured, all of them very significant. Uh, I was actually looking at their medical reports. Let's check this out. Evan Nielsen, Fabio Cordozo, Francisco Machedo, but he's 
has got a serious knee injury, so I'm, you know, I shouldn't be counted in the eight because he's in rehab. Uh, then you have the rest of the usual players, Gabriel Verón, Uribe, Otavio, Wendell, and Galeno. And uh, Galeno apparently has been, at least through the media report, said that he won't be playing this weekend. But I've seen it before with Porto where they'd say this, and all of a sudden the day before it becomes a match time, match time decision, and then before you know it, they wind up playing. So take whatever reports you get during the week with a grain of salt because I still think that some of these guys, I just don't see these many guys out, especially because, one, Porto's playing at home to Rio Ave, which is a club in the suburb of Porto. Porto wants to stay close. Porto's got to play midweek Champions League match against Inter. So if you're Porto, it'd be curious to see is, is Sergio Conceição going to rest a few players that even though if they may be available to play, will he play them? Or is he going to save a few players uh, of, in terms of the starters and uh, go with the players that have played during this injury in terms of the Tasso de Portugal, the League Cup matches, when Porto did have injuries, although not as much as this time. Um, you know, Or does he uh, basically save players for Wednesday? Or does he save a few players on you know, Saturday and, and a few players on Wednesday um, instead of making wholesale changes. So I think that's the big question for Sergio. And that's what happens when you become a manager. You have to make these uh, tough decisions, and I think that's what he's got to do this weekend. On Sunday, you've got Santa Clara at home to Fama. Of course, Braga, in my opinion, the best match this week, taking on Aroca, and that'll be another home match for Braga. Then you've got Casapia taking on Vitoria Guimaraes, and this is a very interesting match that I probably could have also picked as the best match of the week because you've got Doria Guimaraes in fifth place with 33 points. You've got Casapia in sixth with 31 points, and they're both battling for European spots. But I'm going to go with the two teams, Braga and Oroca, with Braga being a little bit higher in the standings. And then everything pretty much ends on Monday. You've got Chaves against Sporting. Don't forget Chaves beat Sporting in Alvalade earlier this season. Vitoria, Canadian international with a big goal. And then, of course, you'll have Benfica taking on Boavista. Of course, the Champions League, unlike the Europa and the Europa Conference League, they're not playing back-to-back weeks to finish their tie. Benfica has a, a two-week break before they play their second leg match at home against Club Bruges. So Monday, Chaves Sporting. Sporting, of course, just played on Thursday, so they're going to play Monday and then have to go play in Denmark on Thursday. And then Benfica, Boavista, Benfica with a little bit of rest playing on Monday, and then uh, they get to worry about uh, next week. Uh, looking at some other uh, reports for this uh, weekend, um, basically two players are not available this weekend for Benfica, and that's Alexander Ba and Morato. They were both sent off, um, and uh, as a result, they are not eligible uh, this weekend. Nothing much to say about Gil Vicente or Maritimo, although Edgar Costa was sent off last match, so that's a pretty tough loss for them. Uh, also, Maracas is unavailable. Passos de Ferreira. Braga right now has a clean sheet. Nobody is in trouble. Sporting's also in good shape. The only player in the medical bulletin, unless uh, a new bulletin comes out on Friday with anybody that got hurt last night or has some knocks. But Braganza right now is the only player because he's obviously rehabbing from a serious knee injury. Guimarães, interesting. They got Andre Andre. He's hurt, so he's uh, doubtful for this weekend. And Jota. Jota Silva, they're a big player, their star that they got last year from Casapia. He was sent off, so he's not available uh, this weekend as well. Shops has a lot of players unavailable. Um, the ones that stand out are Bruno Langa. Um, so Luther Singh is uh, one of the better players. He's hurt. Um, Rio Ave, not much to say. Santa Clara, Portimonense, Fama. 
Eh, I don't really see anything here that kind of uh, sticks out. So those are your reports and your preview uh, for uh, the first division. Again, Liga B win. 14 matches left. Liga B win, uh, match day 21 coming up this weekend. 14 matches left. Again, I just think it's between Benfica and Porto. No surprise for the championship. And then everybody else is playing for objectives in terms of Europe or to get from the bottom, out of the bottom, which is obviously clubs like Meritimo, Santa Clara, and Passos de Ferreira. Um, let's move along for your second uh, division uh, report. Uh, last week in the uh, second division, uh, we had some very interesting results last week in the second division. First of all, just give me one minute here. I thought I had this set up. Last week, of course, I thought the, the most interesting uh, result for the uh, second division was we saw Moreirense lose at Turiens, and as a result, Moreirense uh, suffers the loss, which they haven't really done all that much of this season, and as a result, they lost uh, two points. And basically, the best match last week was basically uh, the uh, the match um, between Académico do Viseu, again, They've only had losses uh, to Porto, and they did lose in the Liga few, uh, two weeks ago. But basically, the best match last weekend was Académico do Viseu, and they beat Feirense. So Feirense had an opportunity to uh, cut their deficit, uh, but they lost. So Moreirense. So Moreirense, again, in first place with 46 points. Estrela uh, Amadora now is in second place with 37 Estrela Madura, of course, a club in the 90s and 2000 with a long history playing in the first division. They got sent down all the way to the, the uh, districts because, if I recall, financial issues, and now they've worked their way up. They, like Fadence from the Algarve, have a history in the first division, and both of them have. Fadence has already been up in the first division, but Estrela Madura is right now in second place and an opportunity to get uh, promoted. Fadence from the Algarve is in the playoff position of third base, of uh, third place. If the season were to end today, they would be playing Santa Clara for the playoff for the first division. And Académico de Viseu with the big win against third place Fedence. They are now only one point behind third place. So Académico de Viseu just continues to climb and climb and climb. And they've just been doing a fantastic job. Best match this weekend, in my opinion, coming up. I think it's, uh, for me, FC Porto B and Estrela Madura. You basically have the uh, second place team taking on FC Porto B, which is having a very good year. Usually they, the last few years they've been struggling near the bottom. But Estrela Madura is having a very, very good season. And again, in second uh, place. But that to me is their, uh, my, my opinion, the best match of the uh, second uh, division. Also some news um, with regards to, you know, again, we had a lot of manager changes uh, last week. Um, and, of course, now everybody is back. And, again, really want to give a shout-out to Torrientes, who's in 13th place with 24 points. Torrientes is playing this weekend. They are playing away this weekend at Benfica B, so they're making the short trip to Seychelles from Torres Vedras. But I've been talking about Torrientes since the beginning of the season. They are my favorite team in the second division, of course. Uh, a lot of family in that Torres Vedras region, Cadaval, Vilad, um, you know, all those areas. And uh, I just want to see Turiens. A uh, good cousin of mine, who happens to be a priest, is a very big fan of Turiens, and he goes to all the matches there. And I know he uh, it's got to be very exciting. But I bring this up because if Turiens wins at Benfica uh, B this weekend, Turiens will could jump up as high as seventh or eighth place after at one point in the season being in last place when they change managers. I think it's Apollo Fonseca former assistant that's running the club there, if I recall. I can't remember if it was Paulo Fonseca or Andres Villas-Boas. 
But one of these former assistants is doing a heck of a job with uh, Turiens. And everything pretty much gets going on Friday, as usual, with Tundela taking on Academico de Viseu. So Georges Costa and Academico de Viseu right away get a chance to continue to claim their spot at the top. And then on Saturday, you have uh, four matches led by the match that I think is the best, FC Porto B, Estrela Madura. And then on Sunday, you have four more matches, Nacional, Les Choynes, Moreirense will take on B-Sad. B-Sad, again, down in 16th place, continue to struggle. Will they be relegated for the second year in a row? I have a soft spot in my heart for them. Um, we will see. And, and by the way, speaking of B-Sad, I read something that, um, obviously, you know, they're called B-Sad. They used to be called Bilinense Sad. Most people still associate them with the name Bilinenses, but the original Bilinenses is, you know, playing, uh, I believe it's in the third division now, working their way to come back. But B-Sad, apparently, they, they're basically going to be merging with the Sad of Cove de Piedad. So next year, if B-Sad manages to stay up, as I understand it, they're going to have a new name. I believe it's going to be Cove de Piedad, which some of you may recognize was already in the uh, second division. But uh, they're going to be changing uh, their name, and uh, I guess they're merging with that side. I'll give more information about that in the future. But apparently, uh, B side is going to be going in a, a different uh, direction uh, with regards to their name change of Cova de Via Piedad, and they're also going to be playing uh, as well. Um, so that's I thought it was a very interesting. So that's your second division report. No women's legal report. Uh, the national team is in New Zealand. They're preparing for World Cup playoff to qualify for the World Cup. And I understand they've had it pretty hard down there in New Zealand. I think New Zealand just had a very bad cyclone, which I, which I, you know, I, and I have to apologize because where I live in my part of the world, they call it nor'easters, worst case scenario hurricanes, but I know cyclones are really bad. And I think even the national team, the woman went like two days without being able to train outdoors because of how much rain they got. And then I think I even heard that there might have been even an earthquake in New Zealand or something. Thankfully, not as bad, unfortunately, as what they've you know had in other parts of the world. But the women are basically getting ready. I don't they uh, they don't play until the uh, beginning of March, the Liga. So the focus right now is on women's national team, which by the way would be very important. Uh, my understanding is the women have never qualified for the World Cup. They have qualified for two Euros, and this would be a positive development, the evolution of women's football in Portugal. Uh, but uh, there's no Liga B win action, uh, no Liga women's, they call it Liga BPI. I believe the sponsor is an oil company or a gas company, something like that. I apologize if I got that wrong, but there is no uh, women's uh, report uh, this uh, week. Uh, coming up, part two of my PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. <laughs> Part two of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. Welcome back. Just a reminder, if you want to listen to it, if you happen to be listening to this the first time and you want to support this podcast, please give it a follow. This podcast is available every week on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Amazon Music, Spotify, uh, and I also put up the audio as well. It's doing very well, by the way, on YouTube. So thank you to all those. And again, people always say, well, how can I support you? You know, I appreciate the time you put in. I've been following PortugueseSoccer.com for like 25, 26 years. And I always tell people, just follow one of the platforms or on YouTube. That would be more than enough. I'm, you know, I think that would be something that I think would be very, very appreciated on my end. And for all those that do reach out to me, Always uh, looking for advice on things and my thoughts. I uh, thank you for coming back every week uh, to uh, listen. Uh, Roberto Martinez and Portugal update. Of course, Roberto Martinez. By the way, he was at 
uh, in England, I guess he was at one of the uh, Champions League. I don't know if it was he was at the uh, Champions League match or if he was at the City Arsenal uh, Premier League match uh, this week. Um, I was, let me tell you, I went on Wednesday, uh, to went to a local pub where I live that shows, um, you know, obviously football. And this pub that I went to, they had in a little corner the Benfica Bruges match. Uh, there was only two Benfica fans there, plus me, and I was kind of, the way it was in the corner, uh, there was one gentleman there that was wearing a Benfica jersey, the old Sags jersey, and there was another person with them, and then there were two other people that were there, but they were drinking and they were never looking up to watch the TV, so I think there was only three of us there. But this bar was simply put, it was all about people watching, uh, you know, City Arsenal and uh, Chelsea Dortmund, and I even saw uh, one of the uh, television screens, a uh, Middlesbrough match, uh, the championship of England. There was a bunch of fans in the corner, and they were very happy. When I actually went up to uh, order some uh, beer, get a pint, um, at Middlesbrough score, and there was a guy sitting next to me just going absolutely crazy. He was just so excited. And apparently Middlesbrough is doing very well. I, I guess they've got something like a credible amount of points ever since. They have sort of like a George Costa, Academico Vizel situation, I guess. You know, ever since George Costa took over, the amount of points that Vizel has totaled has been incredible, and here they are now battling to get promoted. And uh, there were a bunch of fans there watching uh, Middlesbrough. But I had my little corner with these two other gentlemen. I, I didn't know them. Um, you know, the angle, there wasn't much for conversation. But I was there, and a friend of mine joined me later, and uh, we were able to watch the game standing up because, again, we had a little corner. Am I being sarcastic about how they treat Portuguese football in some places? Yes, I'm being very sarcastic because it was not a lot of fun. But it is what it is. Demand is what decides things on television. I understand it. But uh, so, yeah, I had the chance uh, to watch it. And um, and uh, but uh, Roberto Martinez, apparently, I, I think he was at one of those matches in England. Uh, I think he was at the City Arsenal match. So I guess he spends the week during uh, some of the week in Lisbon and then the other parts of the week. He's still doing uh, TV things. But. Coming up in a few weeks, he'll have his uh, call-ups for uh, the Liechtenstein-Luxembourg uh, Euro matches. And uh, the question is, is will João Mario get called up? Is he going to call up Cristiano Ronaldo? From everything I understand, you know, Jota's back for Liverpool. He's going to have a lot of players. And again, I've been talking about this the last few episodes. Pay attention to what's going to happen. Will he call up Cristiano Ronaldo? Cristiano, of course, has something like six goals in the the Saudi league, and I think he plays, um, as I'm recording this, he hasn't played uh, since he scored, I believe, the, you know, the all the goals that he did in the last match. But, uh, you know, who will be his assistant has been asked. Um, there was a question about Thierry Henry, who's very popular here in New York. He played for uh, the New York team here, the Red Bulls, and there's been a lot of talk. He uh, was asked if he was going to go to Portugal and become an assistant, but he's pretty much said that he wants to be a full manager and be curious to see if he's going to have a shot at the United States national team job because I don't believe they filled it yet. Uh, I still think they're evaluating uh, Greg Berhalter. So we'll, uh, we'll see with that. But uh, the question is, is who will be the Portuguese assistant for Roberto Martinez? And again, that's the great thing about being a national team manager is that he got hired in January. He doesn't start playing any serious matches until March. So he's got the opportunity to take his time take care of his personal living arrangements in Portugal and then figure out who's going to be his uh, staff. But one thing we know is that Thierry Henry will not be on his staff according to uh, what he had said on uh, English uh, TV. But that's really what it is. I think the next few weeks, it's about making sure that everybody stays healthy. And, you know, when Portugal comes back, 
They're going to be playing Liechtenstein and Luxembourg. Not very difficult teams, although Luxembourg can be a pain in the butt. And I think if you're Roberto Martinez, I'd be curious to see who's going to be his first call-up. Is he going to continue to go with young players? Uh, will we see guys like Rui Patricio still get the call? Um, you know, will uh, you know? I, I I'm very curious to see what changes Roberto Martinez is going to make. But right now, he's in the great position of watching a lot of television, of being able to visit a lot of these national team players wherever he goes to basically see him with his own eyes uh, the players playing instead of you know, maybe always watching them on television. But he's in a position to scout. And I think that's a very, very positive thing. So right now, uh, it's all about what's going to happen uh, next month. And I think for now, if you're Roberto Martinez, you're thinking about that exactly. Um, interview, review, uh, basically a preview. <clears throat> I'm not going to talk about the sporting um, Midian, because I think it's very simple. Sporting, uh, they seem to be healthy-wise in great shape. Nobody was sent off tonight. Antonio Aiden is going to get the start. I don't see the young kid um, that they got last year from Juventus. I don't see Israel getting the uh, start. Although if they did change it, that, that if they did change goalkeeper Sporting, that would mean a total, total message being sent to, to Antonio Adon that his time is up. And I think he just renewed for another year, too, if I recall recently. I'm trying to remember. Uh, but I don't see that happening. We obviously know the story with uh, Braga. Benfica doesn't play until the following week. So Porto, especially Conceição, has had a lot of success against Italian teams. If you're Porto, you want to go to Italy. Best result is you win 2-1 to one or 1-0. One Worst case result is you only lose 2-1 to one and you have the opportunity to come back home. But it's tough. It's tough for Porto with all their injuries. I mean, eight, seven, well, they say eight, but it's really seven everyday players, important players like Galeno, Otavio, Uribe, that are right now 50-50. And Ostakio, Franco, David Carmo, who, who got, to, got to play in the uh, Clasico after not playing since October. What, what, 20 million last year Porto spent on him, and he's got to step it up. This is why clubs spend the money they do, and sometimes they go get players, and sometimes the players don't play. But when they do play Franco and Carmo, for instance, they need to step it up, and this is their opportunity to shine. And I think Fabio Cardozo is also injured. So this is an opportunity for David Carmo, who, by the way, last year was an absolute stud. Great player with Braga. And he, remember, he got called up to the national team, and you know they, they showed him crying, and it was a great moment in his life. Great moment for any young Portuguese player when he gets called to the national team. It's part of you climbing the ladder of success as a Portuguese footballer. But you got to step up, and uh, especially this weekend, um, you're going to see a lot of players that don't play, I think, going to be playing this weekend. And then, of course, you've got this match. Where's case scenario Porto? If, if it turns out that they are as hurt as they are, and they do rest a lot of players against Inter. Pep is going to have to be playing. We're talking, of course, the defender, not Pepe. He's going to have to play the match of his life to make sure that him and Costa could keep the ball out of the net as much as possible. This is one of those games, by the way. People are looking at Costa. They're seeing how many clubs are interested in him. The clubs are seeing how much. And knowing how weak they're going to be with the lineup, everyone's going to say, well, let's see how this, what this kid is really made of. This is a, also a big test for, the, uh, for Costa, the goalkeeper, because he has an opportunity to shine. So I think for me, if you're Porto, you have to score. You can't come back to Dragon losing 2-0 in the first leg you know, in, uh, in Milan. I mean, you just cannot do that. You have to come back home. So we'll see what uh, happens. And again... 
I think that, uh, to me, it's going to be a great match on uh, Wednesday. Unfortunately, this Wednesday, I will be unable to uh, see it, to go to my local pub and probably stay in the corner, um, unfortunately, because I've got to work and I can't get out with my schedule on Wednesday. But I'll look forward to doing that again, uh, the, at least the uh, following uh, week. Uh, other news regarding uh, the big three, of course, uh, I've kind of already spoken about it. Uh, Porto Benfica are in the title hunt. Sporting is in trouble. And obviously, and by the way, the dangerous thing also about sporting is that if sporting doesn't finish in third place with a chance to play for the playoffs next summer, you know, this summer, excuse me, coming up for the Champions League, they have to sell players, which is why I think they're in this position in the first place. I don't blame Amarin. Now you might have to sell more players if you miss out on a payday of like $40 million, not going to the Champions League next year and instead automatically qualifying for Europa, which means what? It means that you're able to have more vacation in the summer and you're able to have, spend more time training in preseason without worrying about playing important matches in early uh, August. But that means you might have to sell players. That means Marcus Edwards probably stands the reason that he's going to probably be moving on. Uh, I don't think Shermitty will move on. I think they're going to give him one more year at Sporting. But I think if you're a player like Marcus Edwards, you probably see the writing on the wall. And again, I'm going to say this episode 158, that if Sporting doesn't qualify for the, the Champions League and go straight to Europa, Marcus Edwards will probably be sold this summer and they'll try to get big quality money for him uh, as well. And uh, I think that's your big three report. Other news, uh, the Jamur. Uh, which has been used this season by clubs like Casapia. Uh, apparently, the Liga is very worried about the uh, conditions of the stadium. Of course, they play the Tasso de Portugal there every year in uh, late May. And basically, uh, there's a possibility that uh, Casapia, uh, who's also been playing, uh, they played uh, and, uh, They played their, um, well, they also played a cup match at Bonfim, where Vittorio de Setubal played. And basically, Casapia might have to go play some of their matches there if issues continue with the Jamor. We, we've all known about how the bad issues with the Jamor, but apparently it might be even uh, worse than that. So that was uh, some news this week that the Jamor might force Kazapia in the future to find a new home because they're still working on their uh, own little stadium. And Bisad, uh, which had been playing as well in the Jamor for some time, uh, they are probably will just go play at Clube de Piedad, the club that they're going to probably be uh, merging with. Again, I don't know the finances of how that works. I just know that apparently that's going to be their new name uh, next year. Uh, other big news this week, we saw uh, very interesting news regarding uh, Vittorio Guimarães and Aston Villa is apparently going to be buying a 46% shares of Vittorio de Guimarães. Uh, that's big news. Uh, in case you wondered, in Portugal, Braga PSG's owners own 20, 22% of Braga. Gazepia is owned by a, a, a group that also owns a club in Italy called Spezia. And uh, those seem to be the big ownerships. So you've got Aston Villa now is going to own a part of As Vittorio Guimarães, the Aston Villa owners. You're going to have uh, PSG. PSG already owns 22% of Braga. And, and, of course, you also have Gazepia being owned by a conglomerate or a group of people, I should say, that also are in heavily invested in uh, Serie A club Spezia. But uh, very interesting that we're seeing this. In Portugal, you're not allowed to own the club. In other words, if I was a billionaire and I went and I said, you know what, I think I'm going to save Sporting or Porto or Benfica. I'm going to buy them. And here's, you know, I think probably $500 million would be the type of offer that you would get for one of those big clubs. No, it's not going to be a billion. No, no. It's only going to be three, four, five hundred billion because there's just not enough TV money in Portugal to make you want to buy a club for that much more money because you're not going to make a lot of money unless you sell players. And that, unfortunately, as we know, tends to make us less competitive in Europe. But in Portugal, they do not allow you to own the clubs. But you know what? I wonder if they did 
how much better would Portuguese football be if they allowed foreign ownership of Portuguese clubs? Can you imagine someone coming from Qatar or Saudi Arabia buying a club like Braga and all of a sudden Braga can compete with the Portus and the Sportings of the world? Can you imagine someone buying a club like Benfica and all of a sudden saying, we're going to compete for the Champions League and we're going to go after the best players and all the young players we have here, we're going to pay a lot of money to keep them. Um, but they don't allow that in Portugal. And look, I understand. They want to protect the uh, the fans. They want to protect the club's history, being that they're Portuguese clubs. But I think in some ways it also hurts them. So I understand and I defend that idea why they don't allow people to own the clubs outright the way they do in England. But I also think in a ways it holds back the uh, Portuguese clubs. Uh, again, ever since the third-party system where people had a percentage and there was a lot of money put into Portuguese football, we had two clubs play in the Europa League final. We had Benfica making it to back-to-back -back Europa finals. We've had some good years with the third-party system when the money was coming in, but once that was deemed wrong, the third-party system, a lot of that money left. And right now there are clubs trying to get in. And by the way, if, if you're a club owner and you put a lot of money, this does affect, I think, uh, as I understand it, you know, in other cases, if you thought you guys where to go to Europe, I wonder what would happen if they play Aston Villa because they're sort of owned, you know, even though the majority is owned by Guimarães and their shareholders are not Aston Villa, people do worry about a conflict of interest because they call it a conflict of interest because of the relationship. That's not to say there will be a conflict of interest, but anybody who knows lawyers and legally, they know that they call that a conflict of interest and that's always a worry. But obviously these people know what they're doing, so I know they're going to do all right. Uh, let me wrap up episode uh, 158. And again, thank you for listening to this episode. Um, I always ended with my club, Atletico dos Arcos, and you're not going to believe this, but this past weekend, they lost again. Um, they lost. Uh, let me go to where they are right now. They were, um, they lost away to a team. Um, anyway, they lost, and right now, my club, Atletico dos Arcos, which three weeks ago had a five-point lead in first place, Okay, a five-point lead in first place. We are now level with the same points with Limianos from Punta Lima. So we had a five-point lead. Now we are both level with 52 points each. The third-place team, Vitorino de Pionis, has 41, but they are 11 points behind. I don't see them threatening us. Good news is that we're at least going to be playing the Tasa de Portugal next year if we stay top two. The bad news is that all of a sudden now we're not in control to try to get promoted to the fourth division. And the last two times, we, we we basically tied for first. We had to go to a playoff. They don't take into account goal difference or a head-to-head. -head. They just go straight to a playoff at a neutral site, whether it be Viano de Castella, Punta Lima, whatever it may be. And the last two times Marcos has gone, we lost. We lost uh, the, the first year on penalty kicks in 90 plus two, 92nd minute. And then last year, we lost something like four to one or four to two. And uh, we were down like 3 nothing after the first 20 minutes. So we had it in control. We were in a good position, and now we're in a draw. And there's still plenty of football to play. So I got to be honest with you. I'm very disappointed because I don't want to spend every single damn year always in the districts. It'd be nice to be, be able to get excited for you if we get promoted to the fourth division, which we still have a shot. But it is what it is. But anyway, this weekend, Atletico dos Arcos is at home to the third-place team, so this is not going to be easy for Torino de Pionge. So we'll be at home um, on Sunday at uh, 3 o'clock, 1,500 hours of Portugal time. Limianos, 
second place team, they'll be playing against a team called Cerveda, the sixth place team. Cerveda with a history of getting promoted a lot to the fourth division, but they never stay up there long enough. So two tough matches this weekend for both us and Limianus, but I think we have the tougher one playing the uh, third place team. But, you know, I didn't get a chance to follow anything this weekend, but when I saw the Instagram post, I was uh, pretty, pretty disappointed. So I don't lose sleep over results. I'm sorry. I'm, I've kind of grown up a little bit. Um, but uh, it was disappointing nevertheless. Anyway, folks, I'm going to wrap up episode 158. As always, PortugueseSoccer.com, PeaceSoccer.com, uh, PeaceSoccer.com, Twitter, uh, PeaceSoccer.com, Facebook, Portuguese underscore soccer underscore noticias on Instagram, our partner site there. And then, of course, you've also got us here. And again, do give us a follow. Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, Anchor FM, uh, Amazon Music, it's available, as well as on uh, YouTube. And uh, thanks for some of the new visits this week and the new people that did follow. Anyway, folks, I'm going to wrap up episode 158. As always, please take care of yourselves. Please take care of your families. And I'll talk to you next week. Ciao, everybody.